Hello. 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 Can you hear me? Is, is this on? <laughs> hello. Hello. Don. Ben. Don. My. My. Whoa! I just turned. Just turned my audio up. Whoa. Yeah. I'm feeling. I'm. I'm. I'm loud now. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm ex- espressoed up. <laughs> or as. Uh, as those not in the know. I think ex- it's pronounced expresso. Expresso. Yes. <laughs> expressoed up. Um, my Don, my office is really messy. More than usual. Oh gosh, it's it's chaos in here. Hmm. Someone. What uh, What do you attribute this uh, chaosity to? Uh, not paying attention. Not uh, huh. not doing things huh. to fix it. But now you've you've been not in your office, so yep. that that to me would mean that unless there are little um, chaos elves coming in and messing with your office, uh, it should not change. It should not become any more chaotic because you're not there to make it messy. I think I think it takes work uh, to make it messy when you're not here. Yeah. Yeah. So there were some chaos elves that that came that came to to add my add to chaos. Oh. So. So, so did they, did they wear little uh, little chaos hats and little chaos boots? I think so. Chaos, you mean chaos? The um, K dash O S, the uh, Canadian-born uh, hip hop artist, chaos hats. I was maybe. thinking, uh, I was thinking that the, the the villain, the group of villains on Maxwell Smart, uh, get smart. But yes, sure. That, oh, that with, too, with the dots C dot H dot were they chaos like that? I, I'm going to have to use the internet to uh, to research that. I'll get back to you on that. I think they were. I think they were. I don't. I never watched that show. Well, oh. it was kind of before your time. I mean, I, I probably it was in reruns. Yeah, it was much before my time. Chaos, chaos. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's a, maybe it's chaos. A lean KDE distribution could be could be uh, randomness. Genus, it's a type of amoeba. Did you know that? No. Uh, You know, I like the ones where we just read from the internet. Yeah. Uh, Chaos is a genus of amoebae in the family. Um, (laughs) I think it's pronounced amoebae. Whatever. That's where you you sell bacteria on the internet, amoebae. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Be here here all week, folks. Be here all week. Um, I just like to refer to uh, Beyonce as Bay sometimes. Uh, gosh, we could we could do a whole show on this. We could. We, should, we, we, should, we shouldn't though. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. Um, so so yeah. It's you know what's crazy is that my office is quite um, uh, it's quite messy. So so someone my my friend my good friend and colleague Diane Ducharme. I'm not sure if I've mentioned Diane on the on the podcast, but we work together on fresh produce things. She's mm. the um, GAPS food safety specialist here at NC State. She is doing a bunch of training. She lives in the western part of the state, and the training is happening in the eastern part of the state. And she, I have, um, I'm estimating now, I'm going to even take a picture for you. I'm estimating that there are uh, 12 boxes and um, a bag. Uh, full of materials that are going to be used at this uh, training. And she wanted to drop it off here. There are multiple trainings. She wanted to drop it off here so people could come pick them up. Uh, and I said yes. And now I'm kind of regretting it because uh, it's taken over my life. It's taken over my, my office. Well, but it's not that's, not. that's not really chaos. That's just a bunch of stuff in your office. Uh, fair enough. It's not. It's not chaos. I mean, if, she'd, if she'd brought all that stuff to your, like, are they, they're bags, right? 
Is this bo- they're boxes. boxes. They're stacked. They're stacked. All right. Relatively so if she, it, yeah. So if she brought those boxes into your office and then opened them up and dumped them on the floor, <laughs> no, you know that would be that would be chaos. But but this is just uh, neatly ordered boxes. Stuff stuff <laughs> in the corner. It's true. Okay. So I've now sent you one one <laughs> message with this uh, picture. I'm now going to take another. Uh, this will explain things in a second. Another picture for you. Um, hang on one second. Uh, make a make a photograph sound. Uh, actually, my my computer just oh uh, okay my kid, computer just made a ding sound. Oh yeah, that's a picture for me. Um, so I'm sending you another picture, which is of bedding and towels um, that are stuck on a um, a chair in my office as well. Um, and this is more chaotic. This this is my uh, me just leaving things here. So I had a I had a student. Um, Jamie Headington, who who is, does listen to the podcast every once in a while, and in fact said to us, said to me, not to us, as I was driving him one time, he said, "You know, podcasts are the wave of the future." Said it's it's going to take over everything. No more radio, just podcasts, and I loved it. So he be, automatically became my first. And like, oh look at you, you have chaos too, ding. And, yeah, yeah. That, so that's that's the sound going on outside of my uh, home office. Uh, it is uh, it is leaf collection uh, season here in Freelboro, and uh, there's a very loud uh, very loud truck uh, vacuuming up the leaves. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's uh, that's what I sent you a picture of. Well, well, that's good. Uh, so so Jamie, um, he stayed here, and I provided him some bedding to stay in student housing because he was coming from England and didn't have anything other than a backpack, the pack on his back, as they say. Uh, and then he left about a month ago, and his bedding has remained in my office. So that's just me being lazy. That's the chaos that I'm dealing with. No leaf blowing, though. No leaf sucking, I guess, as it's uh, as it's probably known. Um, Oops, I'm, I'm chatting away on, uh, on mute, hey, so on. yeah. I figured I figured something was, like that was happening. Um, so so what's uh, what's going on? What's going on with you, uh, Doctor Doctor Donald Schaffner? Well, I have I have some some. I guess it's good news and bad news. Um, the the the. I guess the bad news is it's it's pretty unclear. Uh, it's pretty clear that I am not going to make one k uh, in my mileage program this year. <laughs> What? Um, I am only going to eke out a silver. So I have clearly been traveling less or maybe maybe less international trips. Um, and I've, I've even turned down some international trips. So I think I'm going into more of a stay around here mode kind of a thing because – so I've got all this graduate director responsibilities, and I've got I'm teaching a, an undergraduate class on on food safety, a one credit uh, seminar we call our, our burn seminar, um, which is a, a thing that we do here for to kind of get in, undergrads engaged in the, the research community. Cool. So, and that's next semester, and they're kind of making me. I got to teach this class, and I can't delegate it to graduate students, and I've got to be here every week. And uh, yeah, so that's that's meant that I had a uh, was invited to go to Melbourne, Australia, to be part of a workshop, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I I can't really get to Melbourne and back, and, and I've already committed to teach these classes, so I'm kind of I'm kind of in a mode where I'm going to be traveling less, and I'm, you know, on the one hand, I really will miss being 1K. On the other hand, it's like, well, it's okay, you know, yeah, you, well, you ebbs, and, ebbs and flows. Uh, this Kakuna Matata, you know. That's right. Well, and you, so and I mean, I, I don't know exactly what 1K is, but I assume that it. it Correlates with my, uh, um, you know, it's like platinum status on on Delta. It's actually it's actually one above platinum. <laughs> this this one goes it. to one K. Yeah, this uh, yeah we've turned we we used to just play it. <laughs> 
play it at K. Now we play it at one K. Um, okay. Well, that's, that's exciting for you, but don't you, <laughs> don't you also, you told me some like, like trick, like, don't you buy lounge access mm. elsewhere? Like, yeah, for, absolutely. What, I, I, yeah. What, tell me about like, and I, this is not a sponsor at all, but mm. I want to, I'm going to tell you why I'm asking you this in a second. Yeah. So, so a number of years ago, and we've talked about this on the podcast, uh, David Tharp, who sometimes listens, um, took me into, I guess the Delta lounge. I don't know. He would, he would know for sure. Whatever the, whatever the carrier that flies out of, um, uh, Des Moines is, but, um, yeah, he took me into a lounge and I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. I'm just going to do this. And so, yeah, I, I, with the way it works with United is I don't think you, I think the only way to get lounge access is to buy it. You, so you buy a membership in the lounge and I did that first time, first time I did it, I did it as part of a credit card. Like I have a, uh, United credit card that gives me miles, right? When I spend money. And so, um, I did that and it's, yeah, it's not like, it's not inexpensive, but it's just like, you know, it's just, as, as I think I've also shared before here, it's like, it's a higher class of riffraff. I right, mean, it's right. still, it's still riffraff. It's still the great unwashed humanity, but it's a little bit better caliber of, of unwashed humanity and, and there's free internet and yeah, the food is the, the United domestic lounges. The food is okay. And you can buy, you know, you get like cheap, you get free, poor quality wine and free, poor quality beer. And I think they're, I think they, what is it? Jim Beam uh, is the, no, it's not even Jim Beam anymore. Jack it's Jack no, Daniels. it's not. No, no, we, we, it's a, uh, whatever. Oh, wild Turkey. I think it's, it's, oh. it's just like the bottom basement bourbon for free, but it's like, yeah. whatever, it's fine. Free. You know, if I, yeah. And so it's, uh, yeah, mostly I go for the free Wi-Fi and a, a place to sit. That's, not, that's again, uh, just surrounded by a, a higher class of humanity well yeah and, and you can get up and leave your bag there and go to the restroom because you don't not afraid that people are going to take it i'm still a little afraid uh, <laughs> i think i have as, issues i'm not as afraid of that um where so so is it a, do you use is it a united that you go to it is and then and then because of that membership and it's it's crazy and different everywhere but united is part of star alliance and then so then theoretically I can get into international Star Alliance lounges, which, by the way, some of which are awesome, right? Because, right. you know, I mean, the Lufthansa lounge is great. The Whatever the, the lounges in Narita, Japan is great. So there are some good international lounges. And, and that, and that honestly, is worth its weight, right, in gold right there because or, – or platinum or 1K, whatever your currency of, right. you know, of interest it's is. Bitcoin. Be, because you're – you know, you just feel like crap when you finish an international flight. And if you've got a layover, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, I want to go into a place where they're going to have food, and I can get a coffee, and or I can get a, a beverage, and just like chill out, and and yeah, and it's just it's it's well worth it. So yeah, so okay. so I'm going to keep that even if I don't, you know, yeah. even if I, I I get demoted in the in the status. And that's a Star Alliance one. So this is what yep. I'm kind of debating. So I, I had I was um, I was in Dubai last week. You and I we we shared a I, I'd like to write a book called A Weekend in Dubai with with Don Schaffner. We shared we shared some time in Dubai a while ago. We I did, went, and I've been very jealous that you and a number of other people have got to go back. But uh, Bobby, Chris, now I, I don't think he listens. But uh, Bobby, I just want you to know, uh, you know, you haven't invited me back. And, Dawn's available. Well, not now, not, not now. now, not yeah, now, because you know life's moved on. But you know, you had your you had your chance, Bobby Krishna. You had your chance, and you blew it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love it. Oh, I love Bobby. He's great. He's great. He's great. He doesn't. He doesn't listen to you though. No. Uh, he only listens. He loves the podcast, but he said he turns down the channel so, <laughs> so he can only listen to you. Oh, great. Yeah, it's only my voice, so it's weird. It's like me talking and then nothing, and then me talk. It's it, it's isolated, uh, isolated vocals like they do with the with the Rolling Stones. Um, and I'm Keith Richards, who's not the greatest singer. Um, <laughs> yes, we know. Yeah, <laughs> we've, we've listened. We recently listened to some videos yeah. where we confirmed that uh, Keith is, and he's and he's not really he's not really that good of a guitarist in those in those videos either. He's just sort of hanging out, being yeah. Keith. He's being Keith. Um, so so anyway, I was in I was in Dubai last week, and I I'm currently um, uh, gold the the highest level I've ever achieved in in flight travel. Uh, gold level, which on an international flight gets me into Delta uh, lounges, and uh, so I, I on my travel I went to the Delta lounge, and I I, didn't, I don't drink I don't drink a lot of stuff when I travel because I I don't know if I've told you this but I um, one time when I was in grad school I went to a conference in Denver at the Rocky Mountain Food Safety Conference in fact, and I. Um, Drank like maybe four or five beers at the airport on the way home because I had like a long time to wait for my flight. And then it was delayed like three hours. So I just went to Chili's, you know, because it's a nice place to to go. It was before I could afford to go to the lounge. And then I drank and I got like I think to the point where I wasn't like really drunk but but drunk enough that I left my passport on the plane. And oh, that, no. Oh, yeah. It was. That's pretty drunk. <laughs> It was it was like not good like like I and it was an international flight so I was landing in Toronto with no international document and by the time I got to you know the gate I was like or customs I had sobered up immensely like oh my gosh they may not let me into the country yeah um, so anyway it was they let me in and then I had to get um, like I had to travel with a lost passport note in my passport oh my god and a note from your mother too right yeah yeah exactly so at that point i just decided okay there's not it's not really worth it for me to you know so i might have a one one you know one one half a beer or something um but that's that's about it but anyway i went so i I had some lounge access and and i you know drank some coffee and it was just civilized and then i told danny i was like this is i love it so much so i was thinking i might just buy access cuz it was and it's not like i travel i mean I, I don't fly a whole heck of a lot but enough that i probably spend 30 or 40 bucks in an airport a couple of times a month in in food right well and again it depends on the quality of the food but if you're willing to to swap out you know, free food for the food that you spend in an airport that adds up. And, you know, it's, I, I have, I do consulting and so it's a consulting expense. And so it is a business expense. And, and I'm sure that you, you know, again, I don't know, we haven't talked too much about, you know, taxes, you know, right. tax law because, because <laughs> my God, that would be fascinating. Um, tax but, food safety talk is what we, yeah. tax safety tax, talk. Tax, tax safety talk. Um, and, and I should, we should also put the disclaimer that we are not tax attorneys and this is not, this is not advice. Yeah. Right. At all. Uh, yeah. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Um, but, but that you, but you know, it's, it's business expense, right? It's a legitimate ex- business expense that you could, that you could write off. And so that does make it a little bit more palatable perhaps. Yeah, yeah totally. I don't, I don't know much about the taxes. I know that people in the U S don't like to pay taxes and the country was founded on that uh, philosophy. As opposed to Canada where you guys are like, we love- could we, could we please pay some more taxes? Yeah. How much would uh, that, that how, how much would you, apart. how much do I owe you to fix the bridge? Um, that's, there's, that's, that's his political, now it's political safety talk, Don. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. So, so anyway, um, yeah. So I, for some reason though, 
I thought you, and maybe this is David, somebody told me that they have like um, an independent pass that gets them into into a whole bunch of different lounges. Like it's it's a monthly thing and, you know, depending – some airports, it's the Delta Lounge and some airports, it's the United Lounge. But it's – but every airport in the U.S. has at least one – Lounge that you can get into with this with this thing. That wow! You, no, that, you know anything about that? that I do not. Oh, and and there are and there are a lot of airports that have Star Alliance lounges. And again, I fly United, so a lot of the airports I'm flying to have a United lounge. Um, but and especially if it's if I'm changing planes, I'm changing in a United hub city. So yeah, I definitely there's a lounge there. But no, this is not a thing that I've ever heard of. So yeah, maybe it was David Tharp you were talking to. Maybe someone. Maybe I just made it up. Maybe I jumped it. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to explore that on the internet. Maybe one of our listeners know, knows about that. Um, yeah. So what else is going on with you, Don? What do you, uh, what, 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 what's, what's new? What's shaken? Well, you know, I was thinking about as we, you know, as we, as we have talked before about this, uh, you know, what are we going to do on the podcast? Yeah. And whether, whether we, whether we prepare or not, I did, uh, I did prepare a few things. We did get, uh, a comment from a listener, which I think would be definitely worth uh, discussing. Um, one of the things that's been going on around here, and I think probably at your house too, um, unless you celebrate Canadian Halloween, but American Halloween, <laughs> American Halloween was just a few days ago. It was, um, and and so I'm sitting here with uh, you can can oh, this is uh, I got a big big bag of candy here on my desk that I'm gonna. <laughs> What did you dress up as, Don? It sounds like how you got. So, did you get? Did you go out and trick or treat? Is that how you got? Or yes. did you do what every uh, North American does and buy uh, about four times the amount of candy that you needed, knowing that you wouldn't give it all out so you could eat it? Well, here's the thing: I bought what I thought in the past would be the, oh. exactly the right amount of candy, gotcha. so gotcha. that I, we I, would. I, no, I it's, true. it's true. It's true. It's <laughs> true. Um, but we have candy left over, and so we're gonna. Try- we're going to try to return some of it to the store. I'm going to take. Oh yeah, um, sure. Well, that's 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 Kristen's plan. I'm I'm going to take it to work and I'm going to give it away and I'm going to eat it slowly. Um, but that reminds me uh, that one of the things that I wanted to to talk about was um, uh, shelf life of candy because there was there was one of the things that I put in the uh, in the Dropbox to talk about was a, a post that. Uh, somebody made recently on uh, do candy bars go bad? Huh. Well, um, let's, let's talk. And, so, oh wait, yeah. Before you jump into this, can you tell me about your candy that you purchase? Like, do you get what? What do you have? What are you eating right now? Uh, well, I'm not eating anything okay. right now, okay. but in the bag that I have on my desk, I have I have well. So the thing is that what happens during the night, during the Halloween night, is that Kristen eats all the things that she likes out of the bowl. Right. Um, so, but what I have left here is mostly Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh, amazing! A few Baby Ruth, uh, a Butterfinger, which is my personal favorite, and that's it. But I know in the in the bag in my car, unopened, we have. Rolos, which are Kristen's favorite. We have Heath bars, which are kind of a favorite of both of ours. Um, but I would say, like my my probably go to candy is a Butterfinger, but I do like a Reese's peanut butter cup. I like a Reese's peanut butter cup too. So we this is the strategy that we have because I am terrible, and, and in fact, not you know because we have two little kids that are really good at going and get can, candy during the trick or treating. We buy candy that I don't like. Because 
I won't eat it then. Like it's stuff like we buy kind of crappy candy. Like uh, what what you in, in the the Americas um, like to call uh, Smarties because Smarties in Canada is a different. Oh, those are horrible. Yeah, we don't. So I don't. We give out Smarties and we give out lollipops. My, both my kids like it, but I want. I only want chocolate and Reese's peanut butter cups or Hershey bars or Kit Kat. That's all I want. So we we over the last couple of years have stopped buying those. Because I would I would just eat them all, and it would be a like a a, a six thousand calorie day uh, for me, and no no joke. Like I mean, it would I would eat a bag of it. Well, so, and let, let me just say, if it's not chocolate, you know, it's not really candy. Right? I, I mean, I know that's so we're horrible. Like we are that place in the in the neighborhood. <laughs> oh my god, that gives away really bad candy because we can't control our own urges. Well, I I really hope that somebody egged your house because that's just that's an abomination, Ben. Tell me about it. It's it. I know. I Don. I'm not. I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud at all. All right. Well, given that you're not proud, I think that I guess we can let you off the hook because you're you're suitably uh, uh, ashamed about that. Well, I am. So so does is there a shelf life to to candy? Well, you know, uh, the uh, beverages uh, law of headlines. So the headline of the article <laughs> is no one better lay a finger on this butterfinger. And then the, the, the subheadline is do candy bars ever go bad? So beverages law of headlines would say, of course, no. Okay. Um, but it, so this is, this is an article from, uh, from the explainer, I guess. I, I don't, I, I'm not really Please. sure where this came from. Um, uh, but but basically, it's not it's not a bad article. Um, and then the, 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 there's a cute picture of some kids eating some candy, and underneath that it says, "How long does Halloween candy stay fresh?" Um, and so this is kind of a legitimate question, right? So you know you you don't want to eat that candy all in in one night, and do they ever go bad? And of course the 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 pure the simple answer is from a microbiology because this is a food safety talk. The from the microbiological perspective, no, these things are are shelf stable microbiologically. They are low water activity foods. Um, so from a, from a micro perspective, <clears throat> they are not going to change. Most, most likely they're not going to change, but they will, uh, chocolate does, um, uh, undergo something called bloom, which again, neither one of us are chemists, but my understanding as a non-chemist is that this has something to do with fat, uh, crystallization and, and it, it causes a, <clears throat> an appearance defect. Doesn't affect the taste too much as near as I, I can recall. Um, um, and so, yeah, you shouldn't like leave your, can- you, you know, you shouldn't leave it till next year's Halloween, right? You should, you should get rid of it or eat it or give it away or, or whatever. Um, but really there's no, <clears throat> there's no, food safety risk that goes up over time, right? Like it's not going to spoil microbiologically. Now that said, uh, we have had risks. Uh, we have had, uh, salmonellosis cases linked to chocolate candies in the past. We have had salmonella linked to nuts in the past, which are often used in candies. Um, but these, uh, these are, 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 products that once they're formulated, the pathogens just hang out in them. They don't go up in concentration. They will go down slowly over time. I think we've talked before about uh, a consulting thing that I did with a, a company that made, uh, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but we've certainly talked about it in, in real life uh, workshops and, and such about a, a company that made 
candy uh, containing uh, peanut paste that was purchased from uh, Peanut Corporation of America and the, the, the recall that ensued and, and sort of, you know, some food safety risk management questions really dealing with, you know, the effectiveness of the process and how much, uh, how, you know, how the decline of, of pathogens worked in that or, or you know, was, was considered or wasn't considered. So, but the short answer is no, your candy will stay microbiologically, uh, you know, unchanged for ever essentially. Um, but you know, it, nuts can oxidize, uh, you know, there are, there are things that can happen that will lower the quality of that candy. So, you know, you should, you should eat it up, you know, certainly within probably a month or two and you could probably go six months, maybe even a year, but you know, who wants to eat? I mean, here's the thing. If you're going to, if yeah. you're going to eat calories that are empty calories, why not make it good? Right. But exactly. Don't waste them. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't let it sit out there. Um, Hey, so I, what I was looking at that, that article and the, um, the only thing that, that I thought they missed, I guess. And, and I don't know, um, I don't know a whole lot about it and this is really, um, you know, a little outside of, of what we do, but I thought about the aflatoxin potential in nuts and if that was going to, um, if you know it's something that that's going to have you know no very little problem uh being formed at um a, you know low water activity and i've never i mean i've never seen anything on aflatoxins in in candy bars or any anything like that but but that was you know theoretically that was one of the things that i thought about well and i can tell you that the candy industry and we won't name names but you can imagine the big players including one big player <clears throat> based here in New Jersey, um, they test the crap out of some peanuts, right, looking for aflatoxin. This is something that the industry really has a good handle on. Probably, I would say the nut industry does a better job, and this is just me talking out of my butt, but but the the nut industry does a better job of managing aflatoxin risk than they do managing salmonella risk. They they test a lot of peanuts for aflatoxin, and they really do manage it. And there are, the good news is with aflatoxin, there are some ways that you can, you know, divert that into food supply and use it. I think there's rules about animal feed. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this from memory here. And, you know, so there are some things that you can do to, to maybe mitigate that risk. And they also know um, aflatoxin, all, all, all crop years are not the same in terms of aflatoxin risk. So it depends upon what goes on in the field, like we're talking specifically about peanuts here, but what goes on in the field that year, you know, is, is it a dry year followed by rain? And again, you know, we, we can, we can research this and give people a little bit more details, but but it is fairly well known what the risk factors are for aflatoxin production in the field, and there are some things that the industry can do to mitigate that. They know when a bad year is coming, uh, and they do they do test test the the crap out of uh, out of some peanuts to to try to manage that risk. So I think that the, as a as a as a whole, as the industry, you know, uh, as a whole, does a pretty good job of managing that. But yeah, you're right. Theoretically, aflatoxin risk in in candy that is a risk. It's a ri- yeah, it's a risk, but it's it's re- yeah, re- not. Not something epidemiologically that we've seen. Um, now, obviously. Well, and you know, aflatoxin is interesting, right? Because we, you, you and I talk so much about uh, microbial food safety, and aflatoxin is really <clears throat> it's produced by a mold, but it is <clears throat> more chemical food safety. And with aflatoxin, there are there are two kinds of effects, right? There is an acute effect, which we very very seldom see in humans, right. which you get this this vomiting and you you know get this adverse reaction. Um, you know, it used to happen back in the day. <clears throat> 
when when we just didn't have you know food safety controls or even know what aflatoxin was, we just had this disease that people, if they ate moldy nuts, what they would get, and, and animals still can get it because, again, uh, they you know they they maybe are less discriminatory or maybe just you know need to eat whatever they're being given by the people raising them, right? So so that rep- presents a risk. But then uh, in uh, the more Serious concern with aflatoxin is long-term chronic cancer risk. Uh, uh, liver cancer, for example, is a um, you know known to be caused by by aflatoxin, and so that's the more uh, the larger concern. But th- that's a much harder thing to measure. Like so, really, that your your risk of developing liver cancer from exposure to aflatoxin is probably based on uh, your you know, your exposure over your lifetime, you know, as well as other risk factors, et cetera. So it's, it's, that's a much, you know, it's more in the field of chemical risk assessment where, where we're pretty, we're much sure, more sure about the exposure, but less sure about, you know, uh, probabilities and, and, and things like that, which, which reminds me probably since we're talking about, uh, cancer risk and food, we probably should touch on this, the latest controversy about, you know, even oh, yeah. meat, about meat, meat, cancer. meat cancer. Yeah. You don't want to get that. No, I hate the meat cancer. I hate it when my cancer gives me my my meat gives me cancer. Um, yeah, we we should we let, let's talk let's talk about that. I mean, let's before we leave the um, the this area, um, you know, I, I think just avoid oh eat, eat your Snickers bars quickly, <laughs> right? Right. Not not too many of them, and no. eat them quickly. <laughs> exactly. Just eat, eat them fast. Gobble them up. Gobble them up. The, before we completely leave the the topic of, of candy, though, I have to share. So this has been this has been a I don't want to say a bad week food wise, but certainly it's been a week full of uh, treats. Um, because not only did we have Halloween, but I had a, a Brazilian graduate student who was visiting my lab. This was her last week. Uh, after being in my lab for a year. And she's really become friends with a lot of the students in the food science department. And so uh, our, our graduate student association has a tradition of doing a tea time once a month where they'll, you know, just a ch- chance for graduate students and faculty to get together and have tea and coffee and, and snacks. And it's, it's a very nice thing that they do. But because this was, she's just become friends with so many people in the, in the program. And because this was her last week, they, they, they said goodbye to her by having her cook all of the food. <laughs> <laughs> for a Brazilian themed tea time, which I didn't, I, I didn't quite quite add up for me, but she and she's a very sweet girl and she was happy to do it. But um, so she made a bunch of traditional um, Brazilian things, but one of the things that she made, and then and then she had saved a little bit and, and gave the extra to me at the end is brigadeiro. And I don't know if you had the pleasure of having uh, any brigadeiro while you were in Brazil. But, oh my God, it is a, it just will link to the uh, Wikipedia article about it. But man, it is. A, as it says in Wikipedia, it is the national truffle of Brazil, and man, it is some it is some good good candy. It's a it's a just a chocolatey thing with chocolate sprinkles on it, um, and yeah, wow, just it's it's so good. And I, I so I had a had a bunch of brigadeiro uh, that uh, Danielle had made for me, and I enjoyed that very much. It was about the most decadent thing I've had. Mm. I mean, it was it's so so very rich. I think I ate it. So I was in, I've, you know, you've spent a lot more time in Brazil than, than I have, but I was there um, and ate it uh, like four out of the five days I was there. Oh, yes. Yes. Well like, done. Yeah, it was. Every time there was like some sort of buffet, there was Brigadero. Mm. Um, and you know, I'm in. I, I thought it, it was fantastic. Um, so what was I going to say? Oh, um, let's I, – I appreciate – I wish that when um, when people left uh, – 
my my lab that we made them make something for us too. Like I like that move. That's a good call. Yeah, right. Uh, hey, so meat cancer. Yes. All right. So here's you don't want to get cancer in your meat. That's not good. No, don't want. I don't want to eat the cancer. I don't want. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't uh, make a whole lot of light on it. Uh, uh, or no. Uh, let me. Bleh, I'm all over the place. I'm texting you. You are that that you that I think sum this up the best. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed Young, Young, uh, who writes for the Atlantic. I follow him on Twitter. Um, really good science communicator guy. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him uh, at, at all. He has a blog somewhere, but I know mostly from from the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Summed it up perfectly. Uh, and I will read you from the Atlantic article from October 26th. Uh, the International Agency of Research into Cancer, an arm of the World Health Organization, is notable for two things. First, they're meant to carefully assess whether things cause cancer, from pesticides to sunlight, and to provide the definitive word on those possible risks. Second, they are terrible at communicating their findings. I, yeah, that's he nailed it, right? He I did. Mean, he absolutely nailed it. I mean, that's that's it. And, and I think so um, – this is one that I've, you know, I've kind of stayed out of, I guess. Um, I, I, I like to – I'm moving the microphone close to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to stay stay in my lane uh, on things. Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I don't know. I mean I just don't know a lot about uh, toxicology. I'm I, cursory. I, I know a little bit about it and I know about, you know, dose response and, and know about the – the you know the I, I'm familiar with the process on how people come up with answers right like I mean that's that, that's about I can what I can say where, where I'm where I'm comfortable and in this one following this whole thing um and 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 there had been um I don't know if it was grumblings but rumors even 18 months ago that this report was coming out and that um you know the headline would be WHO says that. Um, red meat and processed meat gives you cancer, um, and that's I mean essentially what the what the headlines said, but didn't talk about all the things that you and I like to go into all the details on in in our podcast, which is what are the limitations, what are the denominators, what are the what what is it that we're that you know how do we arrive at, at this, and all that stuff is in the report. But just wasn't communicated really well in the press release and the summary, and um, it's you know, and that that's what spins things out of control. But I think you know what, I'm I guess I'm somewhat pleased about is that similar to what we saw when uh, so what we've seen with the uh, discussions around the food babe and what we've seen uh, to the backlash to Chipotle for their. Um, uh, you know, there's stuff that, that we talked about a few podcasts back, and we'll come back to Chipotle in a minute. Um, there, the internet is is getting better at calling uh, trite black and white statements into question. And and as, you know, John Stewart would, would sort of say, the calling BS on stuff. And, and it's, and I, I think it's even, it's more nuanced than that. It's, it's uh, hang on a second. Let's let's not the entire entire story here. And that piece of we have this report. It says that there is a cancer risk. That's you know as, as Ed Young kind of says. That's where you really have to be delicate about your communication because it's not this you know this report of um, a review of a whole bunch of different papers out there on 
uh, on the wrist. It's not a it's not a black and white situation of yes, all eating eating a hot dog is going to give you cancer. And 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 I you know I don't mean to be even trite with that statement. That's not in fact not what. Um, IARC was even saying, but that's how the communication went. Well, and, and, you know, and I posted something on, on Facebook about this and, and Mike Batts had a comment, which I thought was really good. And, and so his comment is, um, uh, it's disappointing that so few of the stories on this did a good job of differentiating between the strength of evidence, which is quite high and the size of the effect, which is rather small, right? Absolutely. Like those are two completely different things. And, and it's like, oh, my God, meat gives you cancer. It's like, well, no. I mean the, the, the committee does say that it is, it, you know, it, it is the, the evidence continues to mount that this is a risk, but the magnitude of the risk is small, right? right. And, so, and so what, what is <clears> – <throat> What is somebody supposed to do with this? Well, if you want to just inflame people and you want to promote a plant-based diet and you want to advance your agenda, you scream about, um, well, you know, meat gives you cancer. And if you want to protect the meat industry and justify your job, you say, well, it's not really that big an effect. But the, the truth is both things are true, right? And how do you, you know, that's a, that's a difficult thing to explain to people. It is. It is. And um when these con- contentious issues come up, who's doing the communicating also gets becomes part of the story. I was when this when this story broke. I was in I was in Dubai and uh, was watching um, CNN uh, either early in the morning or at night or something. And um, you know some some familiar faces from AMI uh, were were on TV. Um, discussing this you know so so cnn goes and finds experts and the meat industry says hey we've got some experts in the nutrition folks and and they'd like to talk about the risks and the two interviews that i saw were on two one was on um sorry one was on cnn one was on msnbc um both with two different individuals from the meat industry and the questioner said really like i i don't know i mean it was it was high drama for me watching it um yeah, yeah, that's great. I understand that that you know the story isn't. We're we're not getting the full story, but of course you're going to say that you're from the meat industry, and then it became about the meat industry telling people what to eat because they have to sell stuff, and it had nothing to do with with the actual risk anymore. Mm-hmm. And that so so let me let me steer this a little bit from a from a risk communication standpoint, and 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 bring up some of the stuff that, that you and I talked about um, with with Michelle Daniluk and um, Bob Buchanan at this um, workshop that we gave uh, a month ago. Um, and, and you and I have talked about it when it comes to, uh, to raw milk. The people that are often responding to things might not be the right people to be communicating it, right? Like that turned the story. That was part of... Obviously, they have to respond. Obviously, they have to be there. But by being there, they call into question sort of all of the stuff that's being communicated because it's it's largely reactive, right? Um, and, and that's so so you know the the raw milk example that I've given multiple times is some really great stuff that came out of Michigan State a few years ago that said um, the people that are trusted the most in the raw milk, um, you know, to, to buy raw milk drinkers about the safety of raw milk are farmers. And the people that are trusted the least about communicating the risks are people in public health 
government officials, regulators, and universities. And the, you know, that latter group are the ones that are, uh, you know, obviously, not obviously, but are the ones that are most likely to do the communicating about risks. And they're, you know, not, so they're not trusted. And then the information that gets presented by them becomes, um, you know, more about, uh, you know, industry shilling and, and all this other situation. And that's the same kind of thing that, that happened, not to the same extent, but, but the same kind of thing that I saw happen in these two, uh, these two, you know, very reactive interviews that, that happened. And I don't have a, I mean, I don't have a solution. I, there's no like way around it. It's just, you know, we, we can't, um, you can't, you can't forget that, that you might be thrown out there. And this is for the, you know, the risk managers in the, in the audience, you might get thrown out there to do risk communication and no, just know that a, you're probably not going to be trusted in certain situations and B, it doesn't almost matter what you're going to talk about because the, the, the conversation is already steered towards you trying to tell people what to what to do, not about the science and the risk. Yeah, and you know the thing that occurred to me as you were talking is the um, it's it's like it's like Watergate, right? It became not about the break in, but about the cover up, right? right? So it's like, well, it's not really that that meat is a carcinogen and that the the risk is the increase in risk is minor. Um, it's really about the meat industry defending their turf. Right. And, and that's, and you know, that's what they're going to do and it's okay. And let's, but let's, you know, what's the, what's the take home message? Well, the take home, I mean, you know, and I, I did, it's funny. I was this past week, I was teaching, uh, my graduate students kind of, <clears throat> Got me in a corner and said, "Look, we want to learn about risk assessment, and we hear you're the guy. So <laughs> we hear you're pretty good at it. <laughs> working, yeah, yeah. Um, we want you to spend a week and teach us risk assessment." I'm like, "Okay, that's fine." So I'll, I put I put it on my calendar, and I ended up protecting that time pretty well. And and I think that they got some some value out of it. And certainly, uh, we spent the the last day of this this um, four day, or actually ended up being a three day intensive uh, editing uh, the manuscript that this lovely uh, Brazilian woman uh, wrote while she was in my lab. And so we you know we we did not only the hands on calculation, but like how to write scientifically write and stuff. But the one thing that happened during the first, I think the first day of this, um, was that there's, so there's a new, a new building that's opened next to my building, uh, that houses the Institute, uh, food, nutrition and health. And they had this grand opening, fancy people from all, you know, president of the university, dean of the campus, blah, blah, blah. And a news crew there. And I get a call in the, like, as just as my workshop, we're wrapping up and breaking for lunch. I get a call from the press officer in the Dean's office. And she says, hi, Don, can you, can you come over to IFNH and talk to um, somebody from the news media about this meat study that just came out. And I'm like, you know, and I had just sort of been following it a little bit. We got a heads up. Uh, IFT Food Science Communicators got a heads up. This was coming. And, you know, so I, 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 I laughingly, I said, you know, I, I, called her back and said, yeah, I'll be there. And then I laughingly turned to my graduate students and said, well, just give me a few minutes. I got to read some articles so I can go be an expert on meat cancer risk right. and go talk to the news media. But, but, and basically my story was, you know, it, yes, there's a risk. Uh, the risk is small. And, you know, I, and I, you know, when, what I always like to do is I talk about what I'm going to do and what I'm going to do is I'm really not going to change what I'm doing, but what people ought to do is certainly <clears throat> if you have a family history of uh, colon cancer, well, gosh, you you probably ought to pay attention to this study. And yeah, if you eat a, a ton of meat and a ton of processed meat, you should probably 
eat less of it. But that again, it's about balance and it's about eating a balanced diet and getting plenty of fiber and get exercise. And oh my gosh, if you don't want to get cancer, stop smoking, right? If you smoke, stop smoking. That's, you know, um, but, but you know, is, is this, does this mean that all meat should be banned and people should stop eating meat? No, no, it doesn't mean that. No, it doesn't. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. And that it at least gives us an opportunity to talk about risk, right? Like that, this this is this whole concept that you and I work on daily is not well grasped and and, and you know the the thing that that, that I you know that uh, you know Doug Doug's talked about that I talk about is it's not always well grasped because we haven't told people about risks and how we make decisions and and how we measure things and and we haven't done that for a long time because it's complicated and people might not understand it but but this gave us a, another example of a time for people that are in the world of risk to talk about all you know the the uncertainty stuff and the limitations and and that yeah this is um a, a piece of information that might as you said go into someone's decision making and and it might not go into everybody's decision making um but but even the like I, I just pulled up the um, IARC question and answer stuff, and this is I, just to circle back around to Ed Young being spot on with really bad risk communication from a really good technical group. There's a question on page two of this Q and A that I'll that I'll send you. And we'll include in in show notes, um, and it says um, red meat question. Red meat was classified as group two A. Um, and in italicized, probably carcinogenic to humans. What does this mean exactly? The answer, in the case of red meat, the classification is based on, and this is the part that looks like Richard Fingers-y to me. It's in, in um, italics. It says it's based on limited evidence from epidemiological studies showing positive associations between eating red meat and developing colorectal cancer, as well as also in sort of, italicized Richard Fingers, strong mechanistic mechanistic evidence. Limited evidence means that a positive association um, has been uh, observed between exposure to the agent and cancer, but that other explanations for the observations, technically termed chance, bias, or confounding, could not be ruled out. Okay, Don, here's the problem. That's not very good communication. Also, I, I, I stopped listening, Ben. Yeah. I, st- I, I, I went to sleep because it was just like there's too many words. And too many words. And also, so you've now given me a definition for one of the things that you've highlighted needs a definition. What does strong mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have a definition for that. So you told me about limited. But then you defined it by saying other weird, weird kind of terms like chance, bias, confounding. What does any of that mean? Mm-hmm. Garbage, garbage, yeah. dog. Just well, bad, bad. And this this reminds me actually talking about things I did this last week. This was this was really interesting. So I sat on the uh, PhD committee of a graduate student from uh, Bill Hallman's lab, and, and you, you know Bill. He's a he's a risk communications guy at Rutgers University, and the uh, the title of the dissertation was Qualified Health Claims: Communicating Scientific Certainty About Functional Food Relationships. And you know, I mean, again, this is we we are now kind of out of our area of expertise in terms of microbial food safety, but certainly well within our area of interest in terms of communicating about food. And 
It basically has to do with um, the uh, qualified health claims that are used on food and dietary supplement labels. And to, to kind of just cut to the, the, the chase and the punchline of her dissertation is that people don't understand the language that is used to write these qualified health claims. It's, it's an opportunity that let's say the FDA has to com- or that the industry has to communicate with people and they fail miserably. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, there were, it's, there, in yeah. Fact, so it's, it's in fact, I don't know if the, the argument was, was made in the, in the thesis, but I would say it's in fact the best opportunity, like, right. Like it's not even just a opportunity. It's the time to communicate this to, to people because the products in their hands or they're at the right context for making a decision. And we just have done just a poor, it's a poor job. And I, you know, I, 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 uh, that reminds me of um, some of the stuff that we've been doing around undercooked hamburgers and consumer advisories on menus and some work that um, we're preparing a um, manuscript on right now where we looked at coming up with just a, you know criteria for good risk communication as it relates to um, communicating risks on on menus and the food code itself is that the messaging that's there isn't good risk communication. Like the guidance that, that that's provided there doesn't meet what the evidence base would say. If you really want people to make an informed decision, here are the things that you need them to focus on. Well, we're, you know, we, we came up or my grad student came up with uh, Ellen Thomas came up with a scale of one to seven on good risk communication to poor risk communication, seven being the best. And, and the food code guidelines came in just at four. Um, and so there's so much more that, that could be done. And then we went, she went and looked at menus and, and used the same criteria scale and, and found that even people that um, were trying to meet the guidance within the, the food code were only coming in at like a three um, on, you know, on average three, you know, 3.1 or 3.2 in her criteria. And again, I won't go into all the details here. You guys can check out the paper once it's gone through peer review and, and published. But I mean, we're just, there, uh, people just aren't good at communicating, and 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 it's, and, and but but everyone, it's just like cooking, or driving, where because we communicate, we all seem to think we're good at it. Yep, and and we're not. Yep, <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, and scientists are some of the worst at it. Yeah, right. And some of the best. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the thing is there, but 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 I don't know. There's so many that think that they're good because. They, they're someone's talked to them before, or they, <laughs> right? Yeah, because like, we do it every day. We're always communicating, so we must be pretty good at it. Ah, just this Q and A, it's just it's crazy. It's crazy, Don. Yeah, it's, but but that and that's part of the problem. And and you can predict that that this is going to be bad, knowing that it was going to come out, and you can predict that the industry was going to be called into question because they're the ones who are there to respond. And in the end, it, what is it, what does it matter? Do we have anybody making a better choice? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I doubt it. Yeah. I honestly doubt it. You uh, fired me up there. Yeah. Me, me cancer. Hmm. Um, Hey, so I got, I got two things. I got two things on my list. Okay. Stuff, a stuff to talk about. I got one thing that's, that's, that's kind of quick. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's uh, something that came out in MMWR last week. Okay. Uh, my favorite. You know, do you know they sent me a mug, Don? Oh, I, yeah. I'm a little angry about that. We discussed this. They did not send me a mug. I know. I like to, t- I like to bring it up. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. So they sent me a <laughs> mug and a letter that said, we love Barf Blog too. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm so angry right now, Ben. Um, anyway, I don't know. I don't know if, if the MMWR folks listen to the podcast. I hope they do. And I'm, we're going to mention them in the show notes. So hopefully they'll get a little ping uh, through the social media. But yeah, I, unless, I, unless I'm doing the show notes, in which case they're not getting mentioned until they send me a mug and a letter. See, that's not the way to. That's not the way to get it, Don. You got to mention them to get them. All right. Um, so so anyway, last week in in MMWR. Um, there was a really nice um, discussion uh, on a, an outbreak that happened in the spring um, at a um, an educational animal education event in um, in Washington State. Uh, sorry, wait, I might have that wrong. Maybe it's Oregon, somewhere on the West Coast. Um, and I'll pull that out just to be sure. Whatcom Health Department, Belling- Bellingham, Washington. Oh, Bellingham. Bellingham. That's somewhere. That's near where uh, Kurt Cobain grew up. Yes, it's uh, it is, and it's been it's a it's a it's a topic of conversation on Rotter on the Line. Oh, okay. John John has opinions about people that live in Bellingham. I, I don't know much about the the Bellingham. I do know that they wrote a very nice uh, short MMWR uh, note from the field about this uh, outbreak that happened um, this you know, this past year, and so there were uh, over there were sixty cases of uh, E. coli 157H7, uh, 25 of them were confirmed, 35 probable. Uh, 11 of those individuals were hospitalized. And it was linked to um, uh, this education event that happened where there were all these cool things happening on Learn What uh, what Animals Do. It was April 20th to 24th. And MMWR has got – so t- speaking about good communication and bad communication, this is the kind of stuff that – that we, when, when I have a great like example, there's some really good things that we can learn from in here, and they include the beautiful uh, epi curve that shows both primary cases and secondary cases. Um, and you know, it's all it's all open. And I I just I can't I want to commend. I know we talk about our public health friends a lot, and 99% of it it's good stuff. And every once in a while we get to call it a health department that we think does a bad job. I, I want our health departments like um, Whatcom County to, to be able to spend time and have resources to write up these one-page notes from the field because it, it really matters. Like it gives us these stories to learn from. So anyway, here's the story. Um, a bunch of kids got sick um, following this, this event. There were over um, a thousand first grade students that attended an event, which included various activities related to farming. And in the media coverage, it was things like milking, seeing how animals eat, um, looking at how they sleep and babies and, and a whole bunch of stuff. And the biggest thing, um, and I, I think the my, my favorite quote um, out of this, uh, th- this whole um, situation is, these environments, you know, meaning the animal education environments, should be considered contaminated and should not be located in areas where food and beverages are served. I mean, the most succinct lesson that comes away from it. And this isn't the first type of um, outbreak or incident that we've seen in, in an event like this. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I did an interview 
um, about petting zoos because uh, our state fair was on. And um, in that interview, I talked about uh, some uh, research that happened, you know, 15 years ago that was not research. It was an epidemiological report where during the investigation of an outbreak that was linked to a, um, an animal event, swabs were taken of rafters and sawdust that had been moved around and kicked around by animals. And 0157 was found all over the environment, not just associated with the poop. Yep. And and that's the that that's the thing, right? We're we're talking about a, a largely hand washing and touching things. And what we what this case just gives us another example of is the environment really matters. And so having good standard operating procedures for the people that are running these events to clean and sanitize rails and to clean and sanitize um, the you know the rafters. I mean, the environment is is a source here. And then not allowing people to have food in there. And in, in fact, in this case, it's even worse. It was that organizers were providing um, food directly in this, um, in this uh, um, area. You know, so, so not knowing, you know, yes, we can focus on hand washing, but it's so much larger um, than, than just hand washing. And this gives us another you know, fantastic e- example of that. Yeah. So, and and thanks thanks for sharing that. We will definitely link to the article um, in show notes. It is a the 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 epi curve is particularly interesting primary and secondary cases, and that <clears throat> actually reminds me about two two things: one directly related and one indirectly related. Um, and so, I had the the pleasure recently of attending the um, uh, New York State. Sheep and Wool Festival in, in Rhinebeck, New York, uh, which was in the middle of October. Um, and the reason for going is kind of a nice, a nice family reason. My, my uh, son, uh, one of my, my two sons recently got married and his wife is a knitter. And, um, so, and, and so her parents and myself and my wife and my, uh, uh, my ex and her husband all descended to Rhinebeck, New York to get together and to meet each other and to also attend this festival. But of course I'm there thinking, looking, looking at it from a food. I mean, it's like, yeah, that's knitting. It's fine. But I'm looking at it from a, from a food safety perspective. And of course they have, this is, this is not just a, a knitting show, right? This is a sheep and wool festival, which means they have sheep and they have alpaca and, and other animals. And, and again, I was, went sort of stalking, uh, looking for hand washing, looking for sanitizer, looking for something that indicated that they were managing these risks. And I didn't see it. Right. I mean, zero. Right. I mean, there right. were, the, and this, the place where it was held was the state fair, state fairgrounds or county fairgrounds in, in this part of upstate New York, Hudson, Hudson Valley County. Anyway. Um, and there's a, there's a, you know, structures that, that have, you know, that have existed for, you know, a long, a long time. Um, and you know, it's a, you know, cooperative extension has a presence there and you can see there's 4-H stuff and, you know, barns for where they do 4-H competitions and, and things like that. And there's a one barn, but, and there's hand sanitizer that's, you know, hard mounted to the walls. I didn't check to see whether any of them were full. They're certainly not mounted at kid height. And again, no, no signage, no evidence uh, for hand washing, nothing about trying to, you know, segregate these areas from the food areas. So just, you know, poorly managed again, 
no outbreaks as far as we know, no cases as far as we know, but, and I don't know what the risk is for, uh, for, for sheep and alpaca, you know, and goats versus let's say other, other animals. But there, I think there is a risk, but again, no, no, no real appreciation of that. And, uh, and it's unfortunate, right? Um, so that, that, that number one, that's my number one comment. Um, and then number two, um, talking about public health reminded me that I had a chance, um, Last week, the week before, to attend uh, the uh, Produce Marketing Association meeting uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and hear one – well, get together with a couple of my favorite people. So number one, uh, I had uh, dinner with your friend of mine, Larry Cole, from uh, Delhaize America Supermarket. So it was great to see Larry. He, he uh, drove down from um, uh, where he lives in uh, – uh, North Carolina? Yeah, in Charlotte. Just yeah, outside. Charlotte, yeah. Yep. Um, so he drove down to Atlanta. Um, and, but, uh, again, the meeting was right there in Atlanta. So, of course, who was there but Art Liang, uh, Senior Advisor for Food Safety uh, at CDC. And, of course, Art is just such – has a wonderful – such a wonderful dry sense of humor and is is uh, – for a CDC guy, I, I don't want to get him in trouble with his bosses, but for a CDC guy, he's remarkably plain spoken. And he gave a, a wonderful talk. And then I think I, – I, I don't know whether it was Art that said this or maybe it was Martin Viedman who was all from, from Cornell University who was also there. But we were talking about uh, public health and, and about reporting and things like that. And, and, and either Martin or Art made the comment that our public health system is getting better, right, because of whole genome sequencing. And I want to get your, your take on this. And the estimate was made that we are – and again, we, you and I have talked often about, uh, about the food safety uh, public health system and how it's I, I often like liken it to a radar and the radar has a certain sensitivity to it. Well, e- either Martin or, or Art, and I, I apologize for not remembering which, made a statement, something to the effect that, in fact, um, our, our, if you look at whole genome sequencing, if you look at uh, some of the, the data in terms of the ability of the, of the public health system to find these problems, we've gotten considerably better, right? And, and right. so may, in maybe even like, like multiple times better. So, so two times better, three times better, ten times better. Pick whatever your number is. The question is, has the industry gotten the same degree of times better at preventing problems? And if the answer is no, then guess what? We're going to see outbreaks increase. So anyway, really, uh, really interesting uh, take on things that I hadn't really thought about before. I mean, we, we talk about public health getting better, but here's the thing. It's like, it's like Red Queen and Alice in Wonderland, right? If, if, the, if the, the CDC gets better, if public health gets better, the industry has to get the same amount better or um, they're going to see we're going to see an increase in outbreaks. And again, we we sort of talked about that idea before, but but looking at it from the point of view, could could we quantify to what degree the public health system got better? I just I think that was quite just a quite interesting comment that that really you know kind of blew my mind a little bit. Ah, interesting. And and I, I know just thinking about it when you're talking there, I think if we look back at um, you know the last ten years, the public health is it, like the the answer anecdotally or without doing some sort of criteria calculation is is that no the industry hasn't gotten better at the same rate right like, right th- like that we just we have we have seen um uh, and, and maybe that's not a fair a, a fully fair calculation because some of this is going to be the industry didn't even know that they were going to have to get better like listeria in caramel apples yeah but 
in or in other cases, the industry did know that they they need to get better, like listeria in ice cream. You know, whatever. whatever. Right. Like, you almost have to excise this um, – some of that on, well, how much do we expect them to keep up with what happens in like-type things without actual evidence in those in those products? But it's a really interesting con- – you know, conversation to have yeah well and you know when we talk about the food industry as if it's one entity but it's right, not right. really it's really these multiple different entities and and so yes yeah, so I, I want and i want to come back a little bit i have a little caramel apple story i want to share but before i do that i just want to give a huge shout out to jim gorney right so jim gorney is vice president of food safety and technology for the produce marketing association now jim has an interesting history he worked uh for many years in the industry um and then did uh, went to fda and shocked a lot of people and he worked at FDA for a couple of years and then he went back to the industry. Um, but this is a guy who, because of his time in the agency, he gets it now, right? It's like he gets this risk-based way of thinking and, and it's fantastic because he's like, yes, Don, we need you to come. And you just, yes, you gave you, you were at this thing in, in Washington and I want you to come to the meeting in Atlanta and you, um, you know, I want you to just basically give the same talk. And I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you, Jim. I, you know, I, I appreciate you giving me the soapbox, but he's here he, and he knows and, and this was a guy who – and he shared with me at the meeting. He said, you know, I really didn't get it. I was sort of one of these industry apologists and, you know, and I wish the FDA would get off our back. Well, guess what? Working for FDA um, for for a couple of years, it's like he gets it now, right? He understands, oh, gosh, okay, right. Um, the, yeah, the, boy, the industry needs to get on board with risk and with risk management. Um, and uh, and yeah, and, and and gosh, Don, you know, and, and Martin and, and others, Art, uh, help us do that, right? Larry, I mean, you know, I mean, it's 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 fantastic. And then and then the other thing that I just want to share briefly, I was in our, our local supermarket where we do a lot of shopping, Wegmans, and um, uh, saw that they had caramel apples for sale. And I'm like, first for first of all, I'm disappointed. Uh, but then it's like I go over and oh, they're in a refrigerated case. Yeah, yeah. So and then and then there was a little thermometer in the bottom of the case with the temperature, and I it was turned upside down. I turned it right side up. It's like oh, 40 degrees. Okay, very good. And I almost took. I should have taken a picture. I almost yeah. took a picture. Um, but anyway, so so good for, good for Wegmans, I guess. For for I mean, yeah, I mean. I, I get, and I had. I guess I was talking with Larry about this at dinner. Like, how big? How big is that? How much money does the supermarket industry make on caramel apples? And Larry's point was, well, enough that we should keep that they want to keep doing it, right? Right. So, um, and then if you're going to do it, well, you need to you need to manage that risk. And the way that you should manage that risk, one way to manage that risk is refrigeration. Now, I also. Again, talking about things we did in, in the last month. Also had the pleasure of hearing uh, Kathy Glass uh, speak at our uh, IAFP affiliate. And, of course, Kathy has done some of the really good first work on this whole issue of, of listeria control and caramel apples. And, and she's, she's published a paper on it, which uh, in, in I think PNAS – yeah, 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 or MBio, but anyway, we'll we'll find it and link to it. But the other, the, she shared new data that wasn't in the original paper, which is that so the idea with with listeria and caramel apples is that we apples apparently are contaminated at a relatively high rate with listeria, and the place where the the listeria congregate or or where the concentration is high is in the stem area, right? Why? Well, because it there's there's moisture there, um, and then guess what? That stem area is exactly where you you stab the stick, 
and then essentially inoculate that with listeria, uh, inoculate the apple with listeria. You, you, you cause damage to the fruit. You push the listeria in you, and you inoculate that. And then you cover it with caramel or, or candy, which basically seals that moisture in. And so you have now this high water activity environment. The data that Kathy shared at IAFP was that guess what? If you cover the apple in caramel, but not all the way up to the top and you stab that stick in and then you let that stem area dry or you let it dehydrate, in fact, listeria does not grow to, to as great an extent. So now we actually have two ways of controlling risk, right? You can not fully cover the top of the apple, which maybe leads to a, you know, a change in industry practice, and then also refrigeration uh, to, to manage the risk. So anyway, um, just some really – it's been – you know, October has been a pretty good week in terms of food safety. <laughs> a pretty good month. Pretty good month. Good. Yeah. We squeezed a whole, uh, a whole uh, month into a week is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. So let's – you know, now we're, we're uh, opening up the caramel apple bag here. Mm. Um, there's some, some uh, you know, interesting stuff that, that came out of that. I, you know, I, I was – since our last recording, I went and spoke for um, – uh, our good friend um, uh, Donna Garen at the uh, American Frozen Food Institute. She puts on a, or her group puts on a, a big um, food safety forum thing uh, every year throughout the country. And this year it happened to be in um, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And I was texting you from uh, while well, I was drinking a beer uh, one night about the weirdness of watching. The Toronto Blue Jays play baseball and having Canadian election results roll in while I was uh, sitting at a former Playboy Club mansion. Yes. Uh, so Surreal. It was very, yeah, it was very weird. There's a lot of weirdness going on. But, um, you know, uh, it, at that meeting, I talked about this um, this work from from Kathy and, you know, just the how it how stuff like this. Should you know, th- this is where, you know, when you started talking about how the industry um, if they can keep up with with public health advances, and this is the you know, so here are two examples of this. So the paper comes out, um, then Kroger says, you know what? Based on this paper, we're not going to have any unrefrigerated apples, and they kind of make a bit of a splash about it because they they actually go out uh, and and say it, and we know that the, like you said from. Uh, from Wegman's standpoint, from other retailers' standpoint, um, the, the, the you know a little more unceremoniously said we're not going to have unrefrigerated um, apples, but you know this gets gets all over there, and so I, I write a blog post about it saying you know this is a risk management decision, right? Like this is clearly, right. and I'm, I'm it's it's a great example, right? Of new information arises. Uh, we we didn't know this before. Here's the science. I'm going to look at it. And we're going to make a decision. We're just mm-hmm. not going to not going to do it anymore until we are comfortable with it. Right? Like that's the that that's the situation. And so um, there's a really nice quote from Peyton Pruitt from Kroger saying um, Kroger believes that the health risk is minimal. Uh, companies opening to carrying caramel apples again in the future and work with suppliers to reduce the risk of bacterial growth. Uh, and the paper was published in ASM, by the way. Um, and huh, in, in published in ASM, what it says. <laughs> well, so Wall Street Journal, they're never wrong. Yeah, published by. Sorry, published but by, by ASM. Well, ASM. that's that's correct. Is that correct? Okay. Yes. Okay. And bio is an ASM journal. Okay. Good. There we go. Um, but then I don't know if you saw. Um, there was a 
a sort of a follow-up in food safety news from um, Sean Stevens um, that that uh, you know, essentially picked the paper apart a little bit. Um, and so I'll read you a couple of lines from this, uh, and we'll link to this in show notes. But it starts off with, research studies are generally good. They can add to our knowledge and understanding of our world. However, making decisions based on one study, especially before we understand it fully, is not good. In fact, that leads to the type of knee-jerk reaction we saw when one retailer recently decided to withdraw unrefrigerated caramel apples from its stores. And then they, you know, the um, Stevens goes on, um, and so it's, it's a, and I don't, I don't know um, Sean Stevens, but um, I get the sense from the uh, from the article he works with uh, the apple industry, um, and says, um, you know, the caramel apples I work with are are squarely focused on producing wholesome, family friendly, safe products. They don't knowingly produce unsafe products and rely on tactics like refrigeration to keep food safety problem in check as the UW study did. For example, they already use many safeguards, including further washing and sanitizing incoming apples, testing for pathogens, and controlling temperatures. Our firm played a direct role in helping design those high production standards. That's all great, except where that falls apart, Don, yeah, like seven people died from that. Right, and and here's, here's the thing, Ben. If you knowingly produce unsafe products, you're going to jail. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't think I think most people in the food industry don't knowingly produce unsafe products. That's the problem. It's unknowingly. Yeah. Right. That's the problem. And yes. So it's not. It's not. It's not recalling. It's not deciding to not carry apples because of one study. It's one study and an outbreak. Right. Right. I mean, there's evidence. Right. And and here's the thing. It, it, are the apples that Kathy used is the, the study design that app that Kathy used unique to um, uh, something about the way that caramel apples are in the state of Wisconsin? No, this is the, the apples. The, They're apples. It's apples. Right. It's like, yes. And good, good, good for the industry for controlling listeria. Show me your data. How well are you controlling it? Right. Exactly. What, and, and, and how many safeguards do you have in place? Do you have – that's great. You've got lots of safeguards. Do you have enough safeguards? Right. And, show, and, show me the data that, sh- that says that your practices are managing that risk because if you can't, you can do all the practices you want if it doesn't make a bit of difference. Right. And, and, and why, why hammer a, you know, a supplier who is essentially – and I, you know, I assume this is pointed at – at Kroger and others, but they're essentially your partner in getting this product out there. And if someone gets sick from that product, they're on the hook is equally as much as you are. You know, they, they're making some sort of a risk management decision. And if you can't provide the data to them to make them comfortable, then then you got you either need more data or you need better data, um, whatever it is. But it's it's not you know I don't know I just I I understand. Um, a critical look on risk management decisions, but that's a risk management decision that a that a retailer's got to got to make for themselves because it's not like if if this um, you know if this company or any other company stuff gets involved that it's just Bidart Brothers you know for instance who are on the hook for it it's it's going to be Kroger and if and if someone like you know like our friend friend of the podcast Bill Marler points and says you know what Kroger you saw this paper that came out in um, you know, fall of 2015 that talked about uh, safeguards and controlling 
uh, listeria growth on uh, apples, and you looked at the science and chose not to change how you were handling things. Tell us why now that now that you've had another outbreak. Yep, yep. And and just a little bit of a background on Sean here. If you if you click through, um, turns out he works for Food Industry Council, which is the according to their website the only law firm in the world that represents only food industry clients exclusively. Uh, so yeah. so he is if not a lawyer, he works for a law firm. Um, so that's his perspective uh, on on the uh, on the issue. So well, there you go, there you go. But yeah, and you know, again, good for him for writing an article. But yes. um, you know, but but you know, it's I I it doesn't doesn't make sense. Doesn't add up to me. He's he's yeah. It's it didn't consider all the steps that caramel apple manufacturers already take take to ensure they're making safe. Well, that's fine. No, because what Kathy did was not a risk assessment, right? Right. I, I can do a risk assessment, and, and guess what, uh, Sean, if you're listening to this, I would love to do a risk assessment based on the data from Kathy's study as well as the data that you are collecting or your companies are collecting, um, and then we can figure out what the actual risk is because there's no, there's no way that a research-based study is going to consider all the steps, but that's exactly what a risk assessment does. So there it is. I'm ready to do the risk assessment. Risk Show assessment. me your data. R- risk it up. Yep. I might make you a T-shirt that says on the front, "I'm ready to do the risk assessment," and on the back it says, "Risk it show up." Me, no, show, no, me, show me the data. Show me your data. Yeah, because it's it sounds it sounds uh, um, it sounds risque. <laughs> I want to see your data. <laughs> oh, all your data. All, show me all, all the data. All the data. Show me all, all your data. All the datums. The datums. Um, hey, so Chipotle's got some something going on. This really? is the other thing. I, yeah, do you see antibiotic this? free meat? No, no. Uh, not E. coli, <laughs> e- coli enhanced meals. Oh yeah, so Chipotle, man. Yeah, forty close forty uh, restaurants over the weekend. That's that is a lot of restaurants, Ben. Interesting risk management decision, though, right? Well, so, yeah, I, yeah. Let's let's talk about it. So here's the. Um, situation, and you know what? Probably by the time this this gets posted, we'll know way more about this outbreak. But this will tell our listeners um, what Don and I think about stuff when there's emerging, you know, not a lot of information. So, um, since let me let me pull out the epi on this a little bit. Since October, three people in um, uh, Clackamas County and Washington County in Oregon. Both that Ver- can't be a real place. I, I, I think it is. I think you. It's uh, Clackamas is. Um, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and it is a. Uh, it, it's a uh, Aboriginal person's uh, word for uh, Christmas. Oh. <laughs> and oh, I'm sure I've offended multiple people. With all that. The, all the listeners. All the listeners hate that. Even the shut-ins. Um, so people in Portland got sick, uh, 19 cases in Clark County, which includes Vancouver, Washington, just north of Portland, and King County in Seattle um, also have been illnesses. third of the ho- victims have been hospitalized. No one's died. And it's uh, uh, linked to not saying if it's um, a 157, but it's Shigatox and producing E. coli. Um, and so... What um, Chipotle did was they closed. They they're still currently closed. Forty restaurants in Seattle and Portland area to figure out what the source is. In why? So, Don, would you do that if you were what? So what? What kind of? What do you? What what kind of thing are you trying to do if you're if you're Chipotle here? Because, I mean, is it if it's a standard operating procedure situation like they're bringing in a product and they do have. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of cooked product. We, you and I have talked about Chipotle and how we, we both have affinity for the food that they produce. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, they've got, they've got burritos. They're pretty good at those. Um, there's a, there's a lot of cook steps, uh, involved with, uh, the constituents of those burritos. And there are some things that are not and things, you know, the, the, uh, initial, if we were looking at a, at a cook step, we might look at something like the, um, barbacoa or steak, uh, product that comes in and, and cook. Now, if that's what you were worried about, why would you just close the 40 restaurants in that geographic area? Cause I would assume the standard operating procedure would be, um, larger. It would, would be national, right? Like barbacoa is barbacoa. Right. Well, and one of my favorite things to get at Chipotle is a barbacoa salad. And so honestly, I think this is an outbreak linked to lettuce. And I think the reason, and we don't know this, but my speculation would be that they, um, this, so, well, and you got to put it in perspective, right? So, um, uh, this is the third outbreak linked to Chipotle since August. So this is their third strike, right? Yep. The other the other two were salmonella and norovirus. But E. coli is, is pretty serious business. Um, a third of the victims hospitalized. Nobody die, has died yet. Yes. Uh, but E. coli is some scary stuff, right? Um, and, and, it, it, and people do die from it. And so it is, it is very serious business. And I, my guess is at this point, you know, armchair uh, quarterbacking it is that they have looked at the restaurants involved. They have looked at their uh, restaurant or the, at their lettuce distribution chain, right, and figured out, okay, so the, all of these restaurants got lettuce from this supplier or, or, you know, this information, there is something linking these restaurants geographically. Now, again, part of it is, uh, Washington and, um, uh, Oregon, you know, have pretty good public health. So again, the signal, the, the radar is pretty tight there. Um, so they're going to pick up a signal, but, but obviously there, I, I mean, I suspect that the lettuce distribution for chains like this is regional, right? Yeah, and yep. so there is something unique about those, those regions where the, they're getting their lettuce from. And honestly, boy, that's a, that's a really tough decision because that is going to cost them a lot of money. But at the same time, this is the third strike, right? This is, this is the third thing. And, and looking, looking at other restaurants that are chains that sell salads, they're not having outbreaks. So again, you know, one of the things that I did, um, before I went to the PMA meeting is I went to the McDonald's, uh, food safety advisory council meeting in, in, uh, Chicago area and talk, the McDonald's talked about all the great stuff that they're doing to ensure food safety. And you know what? They, they had some outbreaks quite a few years ago, but man, they are, their food safety stuff is really tight, right? They really have it down. And I think Chipotle needs to get on board and, and figure out why are, why are they having, why are, why have they had these three outbreaks? Now, again, um, norovirus is a little bit different. You know, you could, that could be an infected worker, but you know, what was the cause of the salmonella outbreak? What's the cause of the C. coli outbreak? If I'm in charge of food safety for Chipotle, I'm looking really hard at what they're doing and what they're not doing. I'm looking at what the competition is doing or not doing, and I'm making some decisions and, you know, it's a, it's a hard decision to close restaurants, but boy, I mean, yeah. What, what else are you going to do? This is, this is bad, man. This is, this is a lot of people, yep. um, from a really serious pathogen and, uh, and it's, you know, and this is the third strike since, since August. So yeah. 
Uh, yeah, no, and I agree. And here's the the we can armchair quarterback this um, a lot. And and I think when, the more we find out about this outbreak, the more the the same questions come up. What did you know? When did you know it? How did you make the decision? And I, I agree with you. When I looked at this, that's why I was kind of going with the the SOP stuff. I was like, it's got to be a supplier issue. It's it, it's got to be something linked to you know common supply, you know common geographic distribution, and that they can nail down these forty restaurants and say, you know what, they might have received this type of product because this is the only thing that's that, that we have that links these folks together, right? Whatever it is. I think that information's got to come out though. I think you got to, you know, in your communication, just like going back to the WHO stuff, talk about why you made the decisions, talk about the uncertainty and where, you know, they make a very swift case of, okay, let's close these, um, these restaurants. But I don't know if you saw the, um, the coverage that was, uh, that, that we linked to in, um, in Barf Blog that Doug posted about yesterday, here are the two things. Two of the Chipotle's, they have signs that are up on their outside of their stores that say, we're sorry for the inconvenience and sincerely hope you'll enjoy the day no matter what you may be observing. So, it's, you know, people are putting up closed signs that have to do with holidays. Or another one, which was in a Chipotle uh, in northwest Portland, said, don't panic. Due to an equipment issue, we're unable to open this time. Order should be restored in the universe in the very near future. What? Yeah. What? So, that's nonsense. It's nonsense. That's Don't, nonsense. That's not why they're closing. No. An not, equipment not. issue. Well, I, yeah, I guess in that you have – wh- how is it an equipment issue? I mean – No it, idea. So, so what, what I hope is happening is in, in you know, best case scenario, corporate regional Chipotle tells these stores, hey, you got to close, right? Like you're not open anymore. Mm-hmm. Put up a sign. That says we're closed and that the manager doesn't have all the information, doesn't know and say, oh, well, we had a sign to put up why we were closed a while ago and it's because we had an equipment issue. So why don't I just put that sign up again? But so for a company that is really trying to make a, you know, three strikes and you're out um, situation, here's your third strike and you can't coordinate what the message is. That's even, you know, it just it just shows and again, it could be real nitpicky here, but mm. this is the kind of stuff that people are going to pick no, up. No, no. The, the fact that, yeah, and so, and we'll link to the Barf blog article. So, uh, you know, the, the, the corporate statement is the safety and well being of our customers is our highest priority after being notified, uh, et cetera. Uh, uh, we immediately closed all our restaurants in the area out of an abundance of caution. Even though the vast majority of restaurants have no reported problems, we're working with health department officials to determine the cause. Our deepest sympathies to those who've been affected. Yes, that's right. Put but that on the door. Put put that on the door. Yeah. Of all the restaurants, right? The the fact that this communication does not go from the top down to the stores means that something is not right, right? Something is broken in their communication system. And, and if something's broken in their communication system, guess what? There may be other things broken, like their food safety system. Absolutely. So, so this is a this is again. It's like the the dirty bathrooms thing. It's like you know, yep. do, do they make the food in the bathrooms? No. But guess what? If the restaurant can't keep the bathroom clean, what are they doing in the rest of the restaurant? Right. So it's it's a symptom of a problem. And even if it's not risk based, there's a perception. And this is another. This is this one. Same same thing. Maybe it's just you know, oh, I grabbed the wrong sign. But in a good in in a place that has a really good food safety culture. Those managers should know this specific reason why they're closing and they should value why they're closing. 
because there's all this uncertainty around, you know, 20, 30 cases of E. coli, including what, 11 hospitalizations, you know, so, or, or a third, whatever the, the number is. And, and that, you know, that, that's the kind of place that, that I want to, you know, that I want to eat at is, is being able to, to manage these, these risks and have this cohesiveness. And I, again, this might be a pipe dream or whatever the cliche you want to use for it, but that's the, that's the goal. I mean, that, that should be it, that they know, everyone knows, and they're all communicating why, and it all has to do with this specific information. There's actually illnesses, and we're trying to get to the bottom of it, because that's what builds trust, not, you know, if I go up to this door and see it's an equipment issue, but then I see on CNN that they got 20 illnesses, it's like, well, man, why are they trying to lie to me? And maybe they're not trying to lie to us, but it sure looks like they don't know what's going on. Well, if it's not, if it's not, you know, again, it may not be malice, but it sure is incompetence, right? Exactly. <laughs> Which doesn't doesn't send a good message. No, that's that might be a show title. <laughs> it sure is incompetence. Um, hey, so those are the things that I had on my list on my yeah. my, my, my food safety uh, talk uh, crib crib notes. Yeah, no, this was this was good. This was this was a good one. Um, I think that um, you know, there's probably more stuff we could talk about. We could talk about hand washing a little bit, um, but I, I don't know. And there was a you know good good barf blog post on hand washing. So you know, wash your hands. Yeah, yeah. So wash your hands and and do it sciencey. <laughs> Do it in yeah. science-based washing. Yeah, well, and and yeah, and the science base for hand washing is uh, is not there yet, oh, still. But it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so hey, great uh, great stuff. Uh, and as always, um, I like talking to you. I absolutely. Always, I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm, 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 I'm absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I was just. I'm so. I did not sleep well last night, and so I'm a little bit tired, and so I was just yawning there. So no, I, this was this. I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you getting fired up because, like I said, I was a little tired today. I did have some coffee that helped, um, but I'm but I'm flagging again. Maybe it's probably time to have some lunch here. So, but it's, good. it's but, lunchtime. Yeah. But thank What's you, that? Ben. You're welcome. This You're was welcome. a pleasure. It's always always exciting. Um, hey, so are you tired because of the the time change? Is that uh, are you? Does that bother you? That we've have you? Did you? Are you aware that we changed our time? From do you know that it's it's uh, like 11 a.m. Eastern time now, not uh, uh, 12 a.m. 12 p.m. Like it would have been. <laughs> now I'm really confused. Um, no, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't like the time change. I think, I think it's an anachronism. We should stop doing it. But, um, you know, uh, f- f- uh, fall back is always easier than spring forward it for is. me. I actually like it, Don. I like that it was. I, I like that I get a chance once a year to get up earlier and reset my own clock for like it, it was much. I got up at six this morning and it was and I was refreshed. I went to bed early last night. I needed the time change to tell me that. Isn't that crazy? No, that's good. That's good. Like, like that's uh, it, it, I reset my my system. So anyway, well, hey, um, uh, as uh, as Rage Against the Machine says, uh, ignorance. If ignorance is bliss, then uh, wipe the smile off my face. <laughs> I did not know that lyric. That's a good one. It's, it's a good one. I like I like those guys. They're they're angry and I like it. Um, all right. Well, uh, this has been uh, Food Safety Talk. Uh, rate us uh, in the in the iTunes. Uh, go check out the rest of our podcasts, of their episodes. Oh uh, shoot, we did have we had uh, we had listener mail and I forgot to talk about it. Oh, we did. We did. Um, we had we had a couple of things, didn't we? We did. You know, John John Kimball. Who, well, uh, let me pull this one up because he. 
has been a very loyal um, uh, listener for a long time and sent us like a really nice out of the blue note, like just related to um, uh, our, the podcast the other day. And we, and it was beautiful. So um, I will read this one. Okay. And then was- I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to read the other one um, as well. So we, we're not quite done yet. <laughs> No, but he just said he wanted to drop us a line and say that he re- really appreciates the podcast, um, appreciates our views, uh, and it helps him stay sharp and gives him some new interesting topics. And he does think that we're funny because we finish each other's sentences. And I didn't even realize we do that, but it's nice. Uh, and uh, we mentioned Taylor Swift, Swift and Richard Fingers jokes, so it's uh, it's good. So, um, But he sent us a really nice note, and it's always nice to hear that we do cool stuff. And we don't get a lot of hate mail either. But but I really like the really nice mail that we get. No, and that was that was very nice of him. Um, and I have another uh, bit of feedback. Um, so this says you can read my message, but not my name. So this is from uh, uh, Name Withheld, who writes: uh, Food safety in Canada always seems to be on a back burner. When our food inspector comes through, and and working in a wing joint in northern Ontario, I've seen a lot of things that make me uncomfortable. The only thing checked by our health inspector seems to be focused on our fridge temperatures. Everything else gets ignored. We've passed every inspection, although it seems burger joints get hit with infractions. Okay. Um, He says, are there food surface tests that could detect pathogens available to the market? The guys I work with are lazy and rarely change out their sanitizing buckets. Part of me wants to show the risk they're supplying to the public. My kitchen manager doesn't seem to notice any of this and thinks I'm too worried about things that don't really matter. So... Really good, really good question, and I did uh, reply to this uh, individual, but the the bottom line is that there are not rapid enough tests, but what what they ought to be doing is that they ought to have tests for the sanitizer in the buckets, and they ought to use those buckets appropriately, Um, and this is actually a a change uh, that uh, Rutgers recently implemented uh, for our dining halls, and so we have these red sanitizer buckets that the dining halls are supposed to be using, so when my students come in to give an inspection, they look for the buckets, and then they also uh, test the sanitizer concentration in the buckets. So the buckets have to be there. They have to have detectable sanitizer. And if they don't, they get written up for either of those two things. So the issue in, in, this, uh, in this situation is um, you know, not that there are tests, or I guess maybe he's looking for tests so he can rat out his, his manager. But, but there, yeah, there are tests, but they're expensive. And they need a, a, a lab and, and all of that. But the, the key thing here is manage that cross-contamination risk by uh, use of sanitizer and test test for sanitizers. Um, it's good. I think that the inspector is focused on temperatures because that's a good thing. But yeah, if you're a wing joint and you have a lot of raw chicken flying around um, and you have a possibility of cross-contamination raw to cooked, um, that's important, right? And that that is uh, definitely an, an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about, uh, I mentioned Larry Cole, Earlier in the podcast, Larry and I chatted about Hal King, who used to work for Chick-fil-A, and, and really the, the Chick-fil-A approach to managing chicken cross-contamination rich in, in, in the kiss, kitchen. Uh, I think Hal did some really, uh, really good work at Chick-fil-A, and probably there's more work to be done. And certainly, you know, wing joints aren't having tons and tons of Campylobacter or Salmonella outbreaks, but the risk could happen. And, um, yeah, the way to control that is, I think, with, uh, with sanitizer. So, but, but thanks to uh, listener uh, Name Withheld. Um, uh, for writing in to us uh, from Canada and from the wing joint, and so we would, we, if you if you work for a, a, a company and would like to complain, <laughs> please, yeah, or, please, or please, highlight some, or, or highlight the positive practices in in your operation, please uh, please send us some uh, send us some feedback. This is food safety talk. 
not just for you and I to talk about, but other people. Absolutely. We want, we want more talk. More talk. More, less, more, more, more talk. More talk, less uh, walk. Less, less walk. <laughs> I like to walk, though. I do too, uh, but not while I talk on with you on the podcast. Right, right, exactly. And it's raining here today. I can't walk uh, outside. I know. Bummer. It sucks. But it's uh, it's like 65 degrees, so win some, you lose some. There you go. Uh, Don, thanks again, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. good okay that's good uh hey so for after dark stuff mm-hmm. um so we, we, i now have my my success uh, and i yes so i know we had talked about this and i really like i i loved my five so much but now i love my success oh i i yeah i like i like it so much and you know i was worried for a long time uh because um uh, Warabo was constantly complaining and st- still regrets getting his six because it's too big. Yeah. And he must just have little dainty girl hands because I, I find this one to be just fine. I find it to be just fine too. And, and actually I was worried about the rounded sides because mm-hmm. um, that's what Acuff had told me that he was worried about dropping it. And this mm. was a long, this is a year ago. Um but I, I've really, I really like it. Yeah, I do. I don't like the rounded side so much. Um, and I did go out right away and buy an Apple leather case, mm. uh, which I really like. And it's a good thing because I have dropped it several times. Like the one, one corner is quite scuffed. The other corner is a little scuffed. The other corner is scuffed. And there's one corner that's unscuffed. So oh. I've obviously dropped this a lot. Um, but and you've I, only had it like a week. Um, yeah, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. Um, so, but I really do. I like the Apple leather case. The only, the thing that's a little bit weird, I finally got my brain retuned. I, I kept pushing on the top to turn it off and on, Yeah, me too. but now I've, I've got the side push thing figured out. So, so no, I, I, you know, it's, you know what that's led to? I'm now pushing on the side of my iPad. <laughs> oh no. Yep. And I, and now it's like I'm pressed on the side of my iPad and the volume goes up. <laughs> right. Like I push on one side and then my hand's like, oh no, it must be on the other side. And then I push that and it's like, oh my gosh, my, it's loud. Why did it get louder? I'm trying to turn it off. Um, yeah. So that was the, I, I'm, I really like it. Um, I'm very excited. So this, this week I'm going to like, I'm, 
I, I like to get these like in person. I'm gonna go get a new Apple TV. Yeah, me too. I, I think I'm gonna go today. Actually, get yeah, an Apple TV. I think I might go. I might it, potentially. We're, I'm trying to. We may go to the to the mall today, and if that's the case, I will have an Apple TV in hand um, sometime this afternoon. Um, but I want to tell you one other thing. Another mm-hmm. product that I love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like we have sponsors, but we don't. We don't. Yeah. Um, uh, so my friends at uh, at Beats, the headphones company. Mm-hmm. I got a pair of Beats stereo wireless headphones. Um, as like uh, I did this like little consulting gig, and and I was like, I want some new headphones. So you know how we use these big you know cans, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, I like them a lot for podcasts. I don't like how long the cord is. Mm-hmm. So now I have wireless Bluetooth headphones that are really really nice. And and they were un, like they're a bit too expensive, but I love them. Huh. So you should get some. There and I have the studio ones. They have Beats Solo, which are on the ear. I went with the over the ear because I really like how these um mon- like the Sony monitor headphones that we have are over the ear. But I still won't I like I w- did not use them today for the podcast. Like I'm still using the wired. Because well, I, I don't know. I don't want to mess with the system. Well and, and what I've heard with the Bluetooth ones is they can be laggy. I haven't had that problem at all. Okay. And and I think it's I I purchased specifically Beats because you know Apple and Beats they you know they are together they are mm-hmm. so I assume that whatever hardware software firmware things that were it's going to be the best it's going to be yeah, yeah this was a, and I've not had a problem at all um, I've been using them I mean ex- exclusively for the last two weeks a lot I mean I, I wear them at the gym I run I have these ridiculous headphones when I'm running um, and. Uh, it's dropped the Bluetooth signal twice. That's it in the whole like in the whole time that I've had it, and not laggy at all. Huh. Cool. And, and so, and, which which yeah. ones do you have? I have the Beats, Beats. Beats by Dr. Dre Solo Two. Uh, no, so they are the Beats by Dr. Dre um, Studio Wireless Two. I think that's Studio Wireless yeah. Over Ear. Yep. Beats by Dre Studio Wireless over. Ooh, they're they're. I know they're pricey. Pricey, spendy. They were. I got them. Uh, got, got them on the Amazon, and it was uh, that was the cheapest place I found them. What, and I got what, what color? I got, <laughs> I just got black because on, on the Apple website they have these white with gold. Yeah, no, they're, no, those the Kanye ones. Yeah. Um, but you can find you, them on uh, on Amazon for for quite a bit less. Ah, okay. I have actually. In fact, I have the. Black ones are classy black. looking. The the, the gray and white are, or the gold and white are gaudy. Yeah, they're not good. The the you know the ones that everyone has are the white with red. But uh-huh. I just went with the white. I just went with straight up black, black and gray. There's no red at all. Mm. And that's in fact on Amazon the cheapest. Yeah, that's, that, those are nice looking head, pair of headphones. I yeah, I'm I'm. I, I like my etymotics for uh, listening while I'm walking and, and stuff, and I, and the ones that want the over ear ones I have corded over ear ones that I have um, that I'm using now the the Sony ones that I got yeah. um, they're fine they're they're good I I like these for travel mm-hmm. and when I went to grill steak last night um, I put them on and I was I was like rocking out and it was I, I didn't have to worry about uh, a cord or a wire and I'm fine mm. with the um, because the whatever the Apple earbuds, which is what I that's my normal like actually the newest upgrade to those earbuds has got really good sound quality. Um, 
my I find that my cord twists a lot and that I end up pulling them out of my ear. So I just I I've, I'm now I'm wireless and I'm happy. Yeah, my my problem is that I my ears are defective. Um, the the they the, the none of the Apple earbuds feel anything re- remotely resembling comfortable. I have to buy foam things that I put on the outside of them that I bought like 200 of them on Amazon for $5 uh, because of the exact same. And they would just fall out of my ears because I also have defective ears. Yeah. But no, I, I, but these etymotics, I've been sold on etymotics ever since uh, I heard about them on a podcast and uh, I just been just buying the crap out of some etymotics and they have like the, the, the etymotics come with four different earbud choices oh. um, and you can swap them out and it's, they're, they're really nice. Also, also expensive, but um, not quite, not quite beats by Dre studio expensive. No, it was, it was a, a big purchase. And yeah. I, it was good. I'm, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, all right. Well, that's, uh, that's the after dark. Yeah. Uh, what am I wearing on my ears? Uh, <laughs> Which is and what, what Apple? Hey, what Apple products are you going to buy? Um, you know, I'm yeah. thinking. I'm thinking too about the the new mouse and trackpad. Um, I really hate the battery charging things on mine. So really, so I have a, I got a Moby. You got hmm. one of those? No. Okay, so I have I have the Magic Mouse. Okay, I think that's what it's called. Yep. like that's the, and I love it, and I will never switch unless. Unless well, Apple the, tells me I need it. Well, the new Magic Mouse is is it's just it's you know USB chargeable. You just charge right. it and then unplug it. So, okay. Well, no, I don't. Okay, let me see. I don't know anything about this. All right. So this is Magic Mouse too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Magicer. Uh, Magicer more <laughs> the magic Ma- mouse. Yes, mouse two the magicking. <laughs> the so, remagicking. I have a Moby thing that, that huh. I, like I it's a it's an aftermarket charger that is. That I just place it on my thing. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Here, I'm going to send you a picture. Maybe you, you even do, know. You do that. Send a picture of your thing. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sending you a thing. And here's the, I'm sending you another thing. Okay. There's, there it is. And then you can you can see if you like that. <laughs> um, it's not the. It's coming, it's coming through. Okay. Uh, and I'm actually texting somebody else now. <laughs> Got derailed. Okay, so it's okay. It's coming. It's coming. It's on its way. It's on. Its okay, way. just wait for it. Wait okay. for it. Okay, I'm waiting for it. This is this is why people tune in. Yeah. Send, send. Is they, so I'd like to call our next podcast. Um, things on. <laughs> Here we go. On. Oh, okay. Oh, so this is. Oh, this is interesting. So it's a it's a thing that you just. Uh, yeah. Oh just wow. So it's a thing that you rest your mouse yeah. on. In, uh, I think it's called induction heat. Oh, okay, cool. And so I never. Oh like, man. I, yeah, yeah. This is the I thing. like I, it. It was, and so I have a you know I've had this magic mouse forever, and it t- it keeps charged for like I mean I I I forget when I um when I'm actually like I mean I must I might charge it. Five times a year. Wow. Like, I couldn't even tell you how long it sits there. That is freaking cool. Yeah. So get it. Moby. Yeah. With, with your old magic. Wow. It might save you some magic mouse. I yeah. Don't you know, know what? I may, I may get this charger and then, and then give the, uh, give this to my students. Cause we, you know, it's like we we're every time, you know, it's just a, yeah. like a cascade of uh, upgrades. Right. So. So there you go. Huh. Cool. Moby technology magic charger. Yeah. I like it. It's really good. Cool. Very cool. We'll, right. we'll, we'll link to it in show notes. Uh, people should uh, buy that after they buy all the other Apple stuff. Yep, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, cool. 
Okay. Well, I will uh, talk to you uh, at uh, another prearranged time in the future. Indeed. That we that we know about. Sounds we, good. That we prearranged. And uh, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye, Ben. Bye-bye.